Intellectual doubt is this need to understand things, to rationally and logically understand why certain things are so. And that's part of our faith. We are told to improve our minds. We are told to make a strong defense of our faith, even for people that we meet who don't know anything about Jesus. And sometimes we have to start with some logical, rational, rational approaches. And for some of you, that might be one of the places where you get tripped up from time to time. We'll talk a little bit more about that later on. Number three is what I would call spiritual doubt. It is, I need to have an emotional as well as an intellectual understanding of my faith. I need to get it from my head into my heart, into my emotions. So if you have confusion or doubt or unbelief or any of the things I've talked about, my prayer is that this evening what I am saying to you and with the Holy Spirit's guidance is something that will help you to find value in the doubt to help you move forward in your walk with Jesus. And if you're relatively free of doubt, and, and sometimes people are because they've been Christians for a long time and they've approached some of these things and, and dealt with them, then I have something for you at the end as well because you play a really important role in the church community. So in a moment, we're going to look at our first passage of Scripture, and it's from Mark 9, 17 to 29. Just before it, I want to set the scene. Peter had confessed Jesus as the Christ. The disciples together had seen Jesus feed the 5,000 and then later on the 4,000. And they'd seen him heal many people. They saw him walk on water. And then Peter, James, and John had been present at the transfiguration. And they came down from the mountain out of the transfiguration. And uh, you'd, you'd think that after all of these experiences, there would be this feeling of, I'm convinced. I'm all in for this man, Jesus. He's the Son of God. This is, I'm putting all my apples in that basket. And yet, listen what happens in the story. So right after all of that, Mark 9, 17. Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. So what might be going on for the disciples that after all of this experience with Jesus, they weren't able? And Jesus answered them, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And I have a suspicion he was thinking that and saying that about the disciples, and maybe with a bit of an eye roll. Come on, guys, get with the program. We've been through a lot together. I have shown you my glory and majesty as your Lord. I've healed the sick. I've created miracles. You know, and you weren't able to do anything. And then he says, bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can. Again, this man had heard stories, and he, he recognized that this man had some questions or some doubts. 
If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And so the father expressed his doubt, his unbelief. He had a modicum of belief, but again, he wasn't all in. Like you and me, he sometimes had questions. So there's three things that I want to just point out in this passage before we move on. First of all, the disciples, because of their lack of conviction or trust or faith, couldn't heal the boy. The father addressed his unbelief and mentioned it, and Jesus, in his love and compassion, didn't throw the guy under the bus. He didn't say, okay, if you don't believe, get lost. He helped the man who asked for it. The man said, help my unbelief. And then Jesus explained to the disciples that only prayer could drive out demons and unbelief. I think it's quite clear in this passage that when he says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer, he's not just talking about demonic possession. He's talking about this kind of unbelief needs to be addressed through prayer. And there's an important message to every one of us of the importance of prayer. So I want to tell you a bit about my own story, just very briefly, and how it's one of the reasons this question of doubt is important to me. And I think maybe there's some examples in it that might be helpful. I was born into a Christian family. I am the oldest of seven children. My father was a pastor. I gave my heart to the Lord at the age of eight. It was an emotional experience for me, but I didn't have a deep understanding, as most eight-year-olds do not. Our social life was totally revolving around the church. I was at church Sunday morning, Sunday evening, a couple of nights a week. We had family devotions. We had family prayer. We had a room in our house that we called our family chapel. But the only thing that happened in that room was prayer or Bible reading. That was a place we could go to pray. So I was grounded in my Christian faith to a certain extent, but I didn't have a good understanding. And then at the age of 14, uh, when I was 14, my father died of cancer. He was only 38 years of age. And when he passed away, 14's a pretty tough age for most people. You know, raging hormones, lots of questions, not quite sure what's going on, and a little bit of rebellion, actually in my case, a fair bit of it, well, let's be honest, a lot of it. And I had lots of questions. And I was angry at God. I was angry at the church, at the people in the church who were well-meaning but couldn't answer the questions I had. And keep in mind that I was emotionally and spiritually immature. And I asked people, why did, dad, why did my dad get taken? And these well-meaning Christians said things to me like, just have faith. Or, it was God's will your dad died so young. Well, there's a whole other subject matter to discuss there. 
and I'm not going to take that side trip tonight. Just trust, trust that it's part of his plan. I even heard people say, you know, maybe we didn't pray enough for your dad. None of those gave me any satisfaction whatsoever. When I was 16, I was still attending church. I was involved in the youth. I remember going to visit my grandfather in Virginia. He was a retired pastor. And I asked him some questions, and I remember sitting at his dining room table where he pounded the table with his fist and said to me in a loud and not very kind voice, the Bible talks more about the wrath of God than the love of God, so you better watch out. And that was kind of a pivotal point for me. It upset me. It was, it was confusing. It was angry. And by the way, that was the last time I saw him. He died a couple of months later. But none of these interactions were helpful to me as a young man who was spiritually and emotionally immature. So as a young adult, I left the church. I had lots of questions. I still, deep in my heart, had some modicum of belief that there was a God who loved me and, and that Christianity was the true faith. But I struggled a lot, and I, I looked for answers other places. I explored uh, the New Age. I, I looked... Uh, I read some of the atheists who had written books to see what they had to say. But I knew instinctively, just from looking around me, that everything that existed had to be more than just random chance, that there was a God who loved me. And so I kept struggling and looking around and, and, and trying to read the Bible from time to time, and then I'd put it aside. But one of the things we learn in the Celebrate Recovery ministry that I really appreciate is that God doesn't waste hurts. And I was hurting, but God didn't waste that. So I'm a curious guy by nature. I love to read. I'm married to a wonderful woman who also loves to read and is quick to show books to me that this would be a good one for you to read. And so I started exploring the world of apologetics. Christian apologetics answers the big questions. Does truth exist? Does God exist? Do miracles happen? Is the Bible a document that we can trust as being reliable? And notice that this is in the intellectual doubt that I had, and so I began to do a lot of reading, and, and I, don't, I can't begin to tell you how many books and videos and, and uh, CD series I own and that I've, that I've watched and, and things that I've read. But at a certain point, I became very convinced and I understood intellectually that there was a creator, a God, that, the, there was, that Jesus was the Son of God, that the only way to salvation was through that Son of God, that the Bible was God's inerrant word. But I had to get this from my head, and I had to get it into my heart and into my emotions in such a way that it would really make a significant difference. And I would say that for many of us, that's the hardest part of our faith, to get it from our head into our heart. Because when it's just up here, it's very difficult for us to put it in action in any viable, meaningful, and useful way in the world. So you may have find, find it difficult from time to time to even acknowledge the apprehension or misapprehension or the confusion you feel about your own faith. And one of the things that I noticed is that when I came back to the church, there were some times that I was a little bit nervous about speaking about the doubts I had. 
Because as I look out over this group tonight, I, everybody looks so together. You've all got your act together. Everything's covered. Your faith is strong. And that's what it looks like to many people who come into a new church or come back to church. I was actually talking to a friend just uh, earlier this week who said to me that when he started coming to church after he became a Christian, he was an adult, he was in his 30s, he started coming to church, but he told his wife, there is no way, absolutely no way, that we are going to stay around after church and talk to people. We're not going to any social events. We're just going to show up just before the service starts, stay for the service, sing a couple of songs, and get out of there. I don't want to make friends. I don't want to know people. And he said it was because he saw everybody else as being so holy and so together and so strong in their faith, and he didn't want them to know how weak and troubled and the doubts that he had. That's sometimes called denial. But the truth is that if you look to the person next to you, and if you're not confused or mixed up about something in your faith, there's a good likelihood that the person that sits next to you might be a little bit. So just, I'm not saying look at them or center them out or anything, but unless you want to. But you know, it's not just it's, it's not just us who feel confusion sometimes. Let's look at John the Baptist. It, just before we look at the next uh, scripture, let's set a scenario again. John the Baptist knew Jesus. They were cousins. He knew him as the Messiah. In fact, he had said when he saw Jesus coming to him to be baptized, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He said that. He baptized Jesus. He saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove over him, and the voice from heaven said, Behold my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. But in spite of that, John, who had been a messenger foretelling the coming of Jesus, got thrown in jail, and he knew the likelihood of him ever getting out was very low. He's probably going to die there. And he needed reassurance. He had doubt. He was probably frightened because he was in jail. He was confused and he was unsure. And so he sent some of his followers to question Jesus. So let's look at that passage, Luke 7, 18-23. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. Miracles that Jesus had been, been uh, performing. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In both of the accounts we've read so far, notice that Jesus was open to engaging with people who were expressing doubt or concern. He didn't th throw them aside. He didn't ignore them. He didn't treat them rudely. He listened and he responded. He was reassuring. He took the time to explain and to teach and to do it frankly and compassionately. 
So doubt can be paralyzing if we let it be. But notice that John, in spite of his doubt and his imprisonment, made the effort to send people to Jesus because he couldn't go himself to ask the question. So doubt, if acted upon with curiosity, can lead to asking significant questions that lead us to a deeper, more meaningful, and more joyful walk with Jesus. I want to look at one more passage of Scripture in a moment. And this is with the wonderful, impetuous Peter. Peter, there's so many stories about him where sort of like an emotional roller coaster in his faith, denying Jesus, questioning, making outlandish statements. So let's look at one specific event. Remember, he'd been present at the Sermon on the Mount. He'd witnessed many miracles. And the same day as this passage took place, he had witnessed the feeding of the 5,000. You would think that seeing something that remarkable would again just enhance his faith and his delight in, in Jesus. So after the feeding of the 5,000, Matthew 14, 22 to 23, immediately he, referring to Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Notice that Peter asked for Jesus to tell him what to do. Good first step. And Jesus did. Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. Step out of the boat. Come to me. But just like Peter, you and I sometimes get asked to do things by God. But we get distracted by our fear. We get distracted from the miracles God can help us create in our own lives through His power and might. We start to sink. And when we sink, it's because we're overwhelmed with doubt. And when we start to sink, Jesus will take us by the hand if we only ask and lift us up into new life with Him. So in conclusion, I have a couple of takeaways for people who are really struggling or newer in their faith. Number one, remember that Jesus welcomes your doubt. There's examples of this all through Scripture. Thomas, Peter, John the Baptist, the father of the boy we read about this evening, and others. There were questions in these. These passages are examples of Jesus' compassion, 
mercy, His power and grace in our lives. And they're there for you. So don't make yourself an exception by living in denial or secrecy about the places where you have concerns or doubts. God welcomes them. So pray without ceasing. Cast your doubts on the power of God. Let Him help you. Cast them like burdens. Surrender. Secondly, when you're struggling with doubt, you don't have to do it in secrecy or in private. Reach out to Christian friends. Do your best to express your doubt with curiosity. Ask questions with a sincere desire to understand. Listen and consider what you hear. And seek ways to apply the gospel in your life. Some of the ways to do that, and I'm just going to talk about a couple of ministries here at the church. If you want to know more about your faith and a place to express your doubts and questions, I would highly recommend Alpha. Chris told me that the Alpha program starts again in October, on October 2nd. Attend, please. You can join us also at Celebrate Recovery. We're here every single Monday night in the South Sanctuary at 7 o'clock, 52 weeks of the year. And one of the things I deeply appreciate about that ministry and being involved in it is the deep and open and frank discussion people will have about what's going on in their own lives. And you will get, I can promise you will get nothing but encouragement, guidance, prayer, and lots of love. And for the more mature Christians, those of you who say, well, I don't have that many doubts anymore, occasionally I get a little bit of confusion, here's some things for you. First of all, please reach out to those who are struggling. Offer to help. I know many of you do. Ask them questions and then be quiet and listen to what's going on. Please just engage with them. Don't hold forth. Don't preach at them. Make sure you understand the issues they're dealing with. Then pray with them. Explore Scripture with them. And number two, stay in contact with them. You can't imagine the benefit of sending a text to them to encourage them or giving them a phone call or meeting them occasionally for coffee or having a social time with them. You will be amazed as well at what that does to strengthen your own faith. And for all of us, remember that Jesus said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. We all need to pray not only for our own understanding, but for the understanding of those around us. We are called as Christians to serve and to grow, and there are opportunities for that in the church, but also in our communities all around us, ways to reach out to people. In closing, you can be a critic or a comforter. You can be a discourager or an encourager. You can be a stumbling block or a stepping stone. That's a choice you make. And that is true whether we are speaking with unbelievers, new Christians, with our families, with our social group, even with our pastors. And being the son of a pastor, one of the things I can tell you, I didn't get any brownie points for sharing this, one of the things I can assure you is that many pastors get more anonymous criticism than they get public praise. It's often true. Emails, letters, cards, or just gossip. I would suggest that our pastors in particular need our encouragement. So, if you're encouraged by what you've heard from Pastor Don or Ron or Chris or the work that Tom does with the worship team, what the other pastors in this church do, send them a text to thank them. 
Send them an email. Write them a thank you note. Trust me, it will make their day, won't it? Christ calls us to do what he did and to do this through his strength and power and might that resides in us through the Holy Spirit. When we surrender to his will, we are called to be seekers. Matthew 7, 7 and 8 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Be a seeker. Let's pray.